Hello and welcome to the Mindful Coach Podcast. And I'm your host, Brett Hill. I'm a mindful somatic coach and founder of the Mindful Coach Association. I meet a lot of coaches working with the Mindful Coach Association. I'm so inspired by their stories and the courageous work that they're doing that I created this podcast so you can hear them too. If you're aligned with this work, then join us at themindfulcoachassociation.com where you can list your services for absolutely free and receive invitations to community meetings where you can network and meet your colleagues. We hope you'll join us. And now, The Mindful Coach Podcast. Hello and welcome to this edition of The Mindful Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Hill. And today we're interviewing a really special guest, Lisa Widmark. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thanks, Brett. Pleasure to be here. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Lisa is a member of the Mindful Coach Association and has been joining us for some of our community meetings. And when I heard about her specialty, which is in sports and uh, helping not only athletes, but all different kinds of other really interesting characters, which we'll hear about, I wanted to have her on the show so we could hear about her journey and some inside uh, inside baseball, if you'll pardon the pun, on uh, on how you know mindfulness plays in this world. She's a performance coach with over twenty years of experience working with competitive athletes and other performers, helping them relax, focus, and access their best. She is also the host of her own radio program about mindfulness, appropriately called the Present. She works with athletes to provide solutions to their specific performance issues and employs mental coaching techniques, mindfulness, positive psychology, and quality instructional design to help them achieve peak performance. Lisa, I'm really excited to have you here and to talk about your journey uh, with mindfulness coaching. It's an interesting, you know, mashup. It's like... um, you know, you you got drawn to psychology, I guess, at first somehow. What was it that drew you into that field? Interesting. I, You know, I think just uh, helping people understand their own thinking so that they can stop blaming and enjoy their life a little more. Well, you wanted to be helpful, huh? <laughs> I wanted to be helpful. Yeah. yeah. That's a that's kind of a through line for all the coaches. It's like one of the things I love about being mm-hmm. around coaches and the coaching community is everybody in the room that's a coach wants to be helpful. I mean, they're the people that are kind of rolling up their sleeves and pitching in and doing the extra work to help out with, you know, either the physical work or the the task. I mean, I just find they're generally a, a very cool crew to be around it, it does make your social media feed very positive when you're attached to all the, uh, all the coaching all the coaching groups that uh, everybody's uh helpful and kind and and doing and their part. It can also it's also easy to get advice mm-hmm. <laughs> so you uh, you you started off uh with an interest in psychology and and where did that go how did that work out for you what did you wind up studying Well, um, I did a bachelor's in psychology and was thinking about clinical psychology. And I really had professors who discouraged that. And I guess they were looking for people who, you know, if if you can't handle the worst part of it, you shouldn't go into this. Oh, wow. And so I got, um, I suppose I got discouraged about working with people who were depressed or schizophrenic all day long, every day, it really does. The the secondhand trauma really does take a toll on you after the years. And then I met someone who was at the very 
early stages of the entire field of sports psychology. And he said, here's a group of people who are motivated and uh, willing to put in the work, uh, willing to do whatever it takes to get to the next level of performance. And when you work with them, hmm, they show up and they do all their homework. <laughs> and <they're- laughs> so uh, yeah, a little bit on the lighter side of, of the human experience, right? In terms of like, how do I, how do I be a better athlete or be better versus how do I avoid going down the drain? Uh, <laughs> right, right. Instead of taking people who are, who are not uh, functioning at the time and helping them get up to a level of daily functioning, you're taking very high functioning people and helping them perform better. So you mentioned that this was like the beginnings of the field of sports. Was it sports psychology? Is that what sports it was? Psychology, yeah. So, you know, there were um, there were a couple books out in the eighties, like the Mental Game of Tennis. Uh, the Mental. Oh game yeah, of that was a famous book. Yeah, and so it was around when those uh, books were being written. And so you were just you were right at the the forefront of the whole birth of the field of sports psychology. I wish. I was in... I, I <laughs> I'm I was trying in, to make it sound good here, Lisa. <laughs> well, you know, I was I was in the first master's program in the country. Well, that's um, pretty there. But then when I got out of school, there were not only no uh, jobs yet, um, I would write letters to baseball teams and try to explain to them what mental... Uh, what mental skills meant. <laughs> so I, I would have to, I would write that saying, <laughs> you should have a sports psychologist and this is what that means. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, did, what was the reception like? Um, you know, I was, uh, I was 24. They, they probably, they probably tossed those right in the trash. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, kudos for for reaching out and trying to carve, you know, carve your way into and blaze a trail. I guess is what I'm trying to say, because uh, that truly was that. So, yeah, I I say that qualifies as you know leading the pack, and um, and and you've been doing this this whole time. So that's I quite have. A, I that's have. quite a lot of history. So you decided to get involved with sports psychology and to help out the various. Uh, folk around. So what happened next? How did you get engaged? Um, you know, I worked with individual athletes uh, over the years, and then um, I took a break and uh, taught school. So I was a middle and high school science teacher for a decade. Whoa. And so I always got to work with athletes at the schools where I taught. And so oh, I worked with I see, of course. individuals through them. And then I always had a few individual clients on the side. And now I am um, I mostly, well, I just see individual clients, but I have enough that it's, uh, it's interesting all the time because I get, I started out mostly in baseball and golf and that just expanded into, um, all sports and other types of performance. Well, that's great. And so, uh, you wound up working with the athletic teams at the school. Mm -hmm. So soccer teams, baseball, golf. And was they a little bit more receptive potentially to the in, inner game of those things? Well, I sometimes look at sports psychology as a kind of like a gateway drug to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so 
It is an easy way to get involved in things like mindfulness and um, meditation and, um, you know, controlling your anxiety or controlling your focus or having reset strategies so that you can let go of errors and move on without beating yourself up. Yeah, I can imagine those skills are super useful. Whatever you like, you know, you make a blunder in a game and it maybe costs you a down or an inning or something. And, you know, if you're really latched on to what you didn't achieve, that's really, and the game's not over. <laughs> you have to be able exactly. to get back in. Yeah. <laughs> It's easy for clients to start with sports psychology. So occasionally, they might need, you know, some real work with anxiety or um, depression or with uh, focus. But it's going to help them in their performance, and it's going to help in other parts of their life. Yeah. So, how did this uh, move? How did mindfulness then become like part of your? your skill set? How did you get that involved? So very early in the pandemic, I felt like I needed some additional assistance, just um, maintaining that calm and being able to respond better to situations where, rather than reacting. And at some level, I have always done that. And I've always taught that to my clients, but I felt like I needed to take a deeper dive as far as that went and, and get a, stronger skill set as far as teaching that. So I went through the MBSR program with a group called Palouse Mindfulness. Um, and, uh, and, and we might want to explain what MBSR oh. is to listeners. Okay. So that is mindfulness-based stress reduction. Uh, started in the 70s by John Kabat-Zinn at the uh, hospital in Massachusetts. And uh, in your mindful coach group, I met several people who uh, who took those courses right there in Massachusetts, uh, one of whom even uh, did it while John Kabat-Zinn was still teaching there. And the instructor that I worked uh, with, uh, Dave Potter, he, he took those courses from John uh, at the hospital in Massachusetts. And uh, oh, is, at the hospital. Oh, wow. That's uh, early, at, early days. Yeah. yeah. And, and he was a, um, a clinical therapist for 25 years and uh, and then started teaching mindfulness uh, after he retired from that. And so the, that's where I took the, uh, took the coursework and, you know, it helped me immensely. Help me out with that. How so? How does, how does it help you? Um, what did you get from that? So as you know, the political climate and then the pandemic, people were upset all the time. And I am ridiculously empathetic. And so I would be upset that everyone mm. was upset. <laughs> I'm I'm feeling their pain all the time. And and that drama, you know, oh my God, something's wrong mm -hmm. is very addictive. That People who, you know, every morning something's wrong and, and and we have to be upset about this or I need to worry about this. And it gives you a feeling like you're doing something important, but you're not. And the mindfulness training just allows you to say, what's happening in the present? 
what's actually going on right now? Is there anything that, that is really threatening me? No. And so I can, um, I can take a moment and focus, and then I can decide how I want to respond to this situation. Mm. Whereas the, without that, it's, oh my God, my hair's on fire and I need to run <laughs> <laughs> Right, exactly. So, oh, yeah, I hear you. If, and if you can teach people to, to let go of that drama, you know, the whole rest of their life just goes much smoother. And they're, they're really able to handle more, um, whatever, more uh, anxious situations, yeah. more crazy things going on. Mm. They're able to handle those in a thoughtful way rather than, you know, freaking out is never the answer. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's that's really great to hear that you had such amazing benefits from the practice. Does that change the way that you coach? Um, you know, I add little bits of it in. I don't teach the mindfulness-based stress reduction course. Um, I uh, I would recommend that everybody does it because it's mm. just going to make the world a much better place. But I put little pieces of that in as needed with all of my clients. There's teaching mindfulness, which, you know, we, we all know that's a thing. And, and, you, and there's big trainings around all that, and there should be. And then there's coaching mindfully, right? And so ah, okay. yeah, I'm, I'm trying to understand, and, and, and you feel no harm, no foul if you say, no, I do everything the same way. I just like it better or, or, or not. I'm just, I'm just objectively curious. Like, did you notice that you do things differently as a result of that training in your sessions? Um, I would say because I am more mindful, yes, that it does make a difference. So let's say I have a teenage athlete who starts talk, you know, starts having some suicidal ideations, which certainly happens. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in the past as a parent, that would, that would freak me out. And I would try to remain, I I would try to remain calm (laughs) and help them through that. Whereas now, I'm much better equipped to, okay, here's what we're going to do. And here's where, you know, here's how we're going to approach that. And this is what we're going to do next. And I'm right here with you. Um, And that it's, first of all, easier for me. But then I think that they get that added benefit that I am calmer and more focused and better able to help them through that. Mm. That's important work, obviously. And, and, you know, and short of like that severe of an issue, I'm sure that you, you deal with clients who are not quite that far. It might just be, I'm really, I'm really stressed out about this tournament this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's it's not always that serious, but you know, occasionally it is. And it's nice to be ready for that. Yeah. Well, that's, that's amazing that that it helps you with that and such important work. How have you factored this work into into your work with the the athletes? Like, how do you think that they benefit from from what you're doing with them that another coach who hadn't had that training might not be able to bring? The clientele that I work with, um, they are interested in improving. Uh, That, you know, we work on solutions together. I will give them some suggestions. They might say, this one doesn't sound like something I would do. Let's try this one. 
you know, so there's usually two or three solutions to uh, access whatever's going on in their performance. And they are willing to, they're willing to give it a, a serious effort to try mm -hmm. out, let's see if this works for me. And then they will go out and see, does that affect my performance? Um, a lot of times it will. Sometimes they're going, you know, I didn't notice the difference when I was, when I was playing soccer, but, but suddenly I'm able to communicate much better with my roommates or with my partner. Um, so, so they give me the feedback that this is how I'm using this. This is how it works. And then that allows me to tweak things going forward. Um, so as far as other coaches that don't have this, I want to go into, there's a group called end abusive coaching and they are doing some amazing work. Um, nice. they're introducing social, emotional learning curriculum for coaches. In, oh, that's amazing. In high schools. Um, and you might remember, you know, when you were a kid that, uh, Coaching a lot of times was yelling at kids until they did the right thing and then they would stop yelling at them. Mm -hmm. uh, or if they messed up, you would get mm, possibly some something that could be considered verbal abuse now. But mm -hmm. back then it wasn't. That is that's how coaching. Not for all coaches, but for a lot of coaches, that's how coaching was done, uh, let's say, 50 years ago. That definitely still happens. And I, I counsel clients through um, getting over being subjected to that type of coaching. Yeah. So, so if coaches were better trained in, in social emotional learning, in mindfulness, that um, not only are the athletes going to benefit, but performance improves. You know, it does affect your performance, just like, you know, learning a new subject is really hard if you're scared. But doing your best performance, if you're not, you want to be totally relaxed and focused. You know, the, we talk about being in the zone or there's other ways to describe that flow state that you are relaxed and focused. And mm -hmm. and so having a coach who can access that mindfulness piece is going to help athletes be more relaxed and focused. So, yeah, yes. Double exclamation mark. There is like, uh, you're talking here about um, coaching coaches rather than, or in addition to um, athletes. No, I would, I would love to coach coaches. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would love for you to, particularly some <laughs> of the ones that I had, because when I went to school, I can, uh, I'd be a rich person if those things that happened to me then happened to me now. <laughs> because it was, uh, it was straight up uh, physical abuse. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and, you know. And that still happens today. Yeah. You know, wow. it still happens today at universities. It still happens today at high schools. And it, it's part of why I've, the, the group that I was talking about, End Abusive Coaching, they're in Massachusetts. And they just introduced legislation to get this to be a law where this is part of high school curriculum. And then they would like it to spread across the country. Oh, and, that's amazing. And so athletes out there can actually go on their website and 
tell stories about things that happened to them just to, it does sort of normalize it for other athletes because athletes are afraid to share that stuff a lot of times because let's say you're still on that team. If, if you share a story about that coach, then you're probably not on that team and maybe mm-hmm. nothing happens. So mm-hmm. it is, it is uh, uh, a little scary in that regard. What's, what's the name of this program again? Um, it's called endabusivecoaching.org. Oh, endabusivecoaching.org. Okay, I'll link to that in the show notes for real. Okay. Oh my gosh, that's so inspiring. I love I love hearing that. It's just another example of the great work that's going on out there. And one of the reasons I love doing this podcast is because, you know, there's so much great stuff happening. It's important for people to hear about it. Mm-hmm. And and they're introducing legislation. I mean, that's... Yeah, there's there's uh, some uh, a great volunteer who runs the whole thing, and he puts in all his own time and money to uh, make this uh, program come to fruition. Hmm, I appreciate that. That's a that's a lot of inspiration and a lot of good being done there. And so, um, the work that you're doing now, are you looking to uh, engage more people? What what are you? How are you reaching the world with your work right now? <laughs> um. One client at a time right now. <laughs> so so I uh, I see clients online and in person. I'm currently in Reno, Nevada. Um, and then I see clients online from all over. And I do a webinar for golfers with a um, terrific golf fitness coach who is, um, she's in Phoenix, Arizona, but we do a, an hour-long podcast about uh, fitness and mental game skills for specifically for golfers. And then I have a radio show called The Present. It's where everything happens. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So how did you get started with that? Um, you know, the station put out a, uh, a ad saying uh, we need some more DJs and their station is primarily music. And I said, I have an idea. This is what I'd like to do. And they said, great, let's do it. Oh, so this is actually like radio, radio. It's not like internet radio. Right, which is, I know most people out there don't actually have a radio. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's one in my car. (laughs) Okay, but you don't want to get up early in the morning and go out to your car and sit in the car. (laughs) That's true. So it is available online. Um, The station is kwnkradio.org. Um, I'll send you a link for that too. Yeah, absolutely. We'll have it in the show notes and people should tune in and hear you talking about being in the moment. That's beautiful. <laughs> so that um, that comes on Sunday mornings at eight, but uh, once it's archived, you can go on the website and listen to it anytime. Sure, absolutely. And, and uh, that sounds fabulous. I also get to interview people in the mindfulness community on that show. So I try and give people a, some little section of mindfulness, like yeah. maybe, uh, maybe mindful eating or self-talk, and then an exercise that they can practice. And then I interview somebody um, about some area of mindfulness. And that uh, I, I kind of push the uh, envelope there as far as where the edges of that go, because um, I interviewed a neurologist who teaches mindfulness to Parkinson's patients. 
Oh, yeah. That's that's so important. I love that. Now, I think I'm going to have a guest in that area as well. Yeah, I'm so impressed by that kind of work. Um, and so you're, you've got the radio show and you're working with clients. Are you, uh, and you mentioned golf. Like, how did you, you got involved with golf? Was that because of your work with uh, the high school and you just started to develop that expertise or? You know, it probably did start with a, uh, a middle school golf team. Oh, wow. Nice. No. And, yeah. I mean, I, I think, oh yeah. And then the inner game of golf, because I think about golf as a sport, you know, and you've got a lot of. A lot of me time out there with just you and your ball and your stick and the air and the grass. And it's kind of like you're... <laughs> when you, well, uh, let's say compare it to basketball where <laughs> you are paying attention every single second. Otherwise, you're going to get hit in the face with a ball. Golf is pretty much four hours of, of distraction and uh, <laughs> 30, 30 minutes of focus. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, that's a completely different inner game. Really, in it is. Yeah, there's a lot of time for your for your thoughts to get in your way. So what have you found are like some of the most helpful, you know, inner exercises or, or uh, mm. you know, guidance, guidance that you could give to, you know, to members out there who might be athletic? It's like, what would you say to them? Like, well, here's a takeaway that you can go and do and this will help you. Wow. Okay. So. It is, it is pretty individual to, to the athlete and what issues they're having. You know, so a baseball player with the yips is, is completely different than a, than a mm. golfer who, who uh, has a bad shot and then, and then ruins the next uh, four or five shots thinking about that. Um, I think the, the hanging on to errors is, is probably pretty common. And so there are reset strategies to um, to help you let go of errors and just move on with your game. And you can spend all the time you want analyzing that when it's over. But um, so a reset strategy would involve a break, a breath, a release, and a refocus. So the break would be something to distract you from focusing on that error. Because once you start thinking about the error, then you're going to try not to do it again. And there's nothing harder than trying not to do something. (laughs) Right, right. Like don't think of an elephant, right? Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, And then a breath. And that's sort of, you know, where the mindfulness piece comes in that, that you get to control where your thoughts go. You get to control where your focus is. You um, can control your, your relaxation, your breathing, your heart rate. So that breath. And then, uh, I usually like a physical activity as a release on the golf course. You can take a handful of grass and fling it over your shoulder to, to let that last shot go. Mm -hmm. Um, and then some sort of, whatever you want to call it, some sort of saying to refocus yourself. I love golf. Mm-hmm. And, and depending on the client, they might want to call that a pep talk. They might want to call it a mantra. Um, but it's, it's something to remind you of the present moment. This is what we're doing right now. This is where we need to focus. 
That's that's great. And so um, prescriptive. It's like so a break, no, a breath. A break, a breath. A break, a breath. A release and a refocus. A release and a refocus. Okay, okay. BBRR. And you can use it, you know, if you're if you're losing your cool with your kids at the park, use it then. Right. Or <laughs> like, if you're in what business. What am I really here for? <laughs> if you're in business or doing a presentation and your demo doesn't well, I I from a technical background with Microsoft and others, and you know, you're doing a demo in front of four hundred people and you push the button and the computer goes away mm-hmm. on the big screen. It's like, oh, the, watch the birdie. You know, suddenly you're like trying to figure out what to do next. Right. And if, if you if you lose your composure at that moment, it doesn't help anything. And if you are able to refocus and, and even make light of it, it might even help your presentation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because people do admire quick, graceful recoveries. They really mm-hmm. do. I, and, I, and I, what, I love that that a that a good recovery is yeah is sometimes yeah, better I mean, than a than a than a good start. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. that's what it's, it really is about. That it's about having enough grace to just keep continuing. Um, well, that's amazing. So um, now I've got to come back around to something we mentioned in our pre-show conversation. Um, we had a quick, quick talk about somehow in your world, you've wound up coaching poker players. Mm-hmm. What, what the heck is that about? I'd love to hear well, some about that. Um, I used to think that golf was the most mental game <laughs> till I started coaching poker players. Um, and a they have taught me that uh, it's it's not as much about the cards as about the player. And there are different types of poker games, some that are very slow and some that are very quick. So there is a difference in coaching those different types of players. But um, that sometimes you get caught up in the game aspect of it and you are not making your best decisions. So. Something that that I have uh, found working in really all different types of performance from soccer games to poker games, that you are out there and you're using your training and experience to take in all the information you can and use it to make good decisions. Okay, so you're doing that on the soccer field. You're doing that at the poker table. You know, and the more experience and training you have, the better able you are to gather information and make good decisions. But when you get, when that stress level ramps up and you're not thinking as clearly or you're getting distracted, hmm, now you can't gather information as well and you can't integrate it to make those decisions as well. And that's what I help people with. So you to disconnect from the getting jangled by the game and connect back to where you can process your information more mm-hmm. um, objectively. Oh, that's amazing. That's uh, that's really uh, useful work, I would think, for a poker player. So because <laughs> I mean, you this is so tense. The whole thing is just crazy. I've seen a. Uh, you know, some of those World Series of Poker games, and it's, it's like, those are very tense moments, you know? Plus, they go on forever sometimes. They go on forever, and and those players can't just say, I'm done now, I'm going to leave. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas right. in, other types of, in other types of poker games, you, you play as long as you want, and when you're, when you're done, you can go. 
That's really true. You're you're right about that. I I, uh, I hadn't really appreciated that. And, you know, we are, uh, one of the ways I talk about is we're organic beings, we're organic systems. And so these things that you do for hours and hours and hours and hours, and then you're done with the game and you walk away, you've got to, now you're in, you're not in the poker tape game. You're not in the, the, or the arena or the field. Now you're just a regular human and you have to transition away from that high intensity world and decompress. Have you run into that kind of a situation? Um, There are, well, there's, uh, certainly sports, poker being one, and sporting situations, you know, a highly competitive uh, tournament where that decompression time is is really important. But I think for um, especially teenage athletes, uh, for, for my clientele, that that evaluation time, that debriefing time is really important because because that is where some self-compassion uh, often gets left out. Mm. So uh, especially athletes that are perfectionists, that no matter how good it goes, they look for what they did wrong. And mm. so teaching them to spend that post-game, post-practice, post-tournament time, um, evaluating in a healthy way, uh is is useful for their self-image, their self-love going forward. Right. So remembering to remembering to like be kind to themselves as much as they can. That's mm-hmm. really because like, you can see how um particularly at these levels of performance from people who are, you know, winning is a thing. And and if you don't win, and not everybody wins, right? So if you don't, then oh my God, and all the negativity and I'm suck at this and and I, and if only and all of that can just make your life really miserable. And then you can't do anything. You can't perform your best whenever you're feeling that way. Right. And and for most of them, hey, it's a game. You get to play. And if you mm-hmm. get to play for a living, how awesome is that? That's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and it's pretty awesome that you get to do this for a living as well. Mm-hmm. How can our how can our listeners find you? Um, I have a website that uh, is maintained <laughs> probably not very well maintained um so that is <laughs> that is uh tmg for the mental game tmg sports uh okay. and, and i am on uh linkedin at at same tmg sports psych um i have a an instagram that uh where i've done a few things on mindfulness uh, oh yeah so you uh, are you leading some mindfulness stuff on the internet? I suppose it's out there. I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't say I lead mindfulness things on the internet. I did a brief series on Instagram called Give Me a Minute that when people tell me they don't have time to <laughs> they don't have time to chill, they don't have time to breathe, they don't have time to meditate. I'm like, how about if it only took 60 seconds? Nice. Okay. And then I promote the idea that if you spend five minutes on an activity like that during the day, that it actually creates more time in your day. So it takes no time at all. Yeah, that's a win. You actually create time that way. Right. That if you're being more mindful, you're able to get more things done. So if if you're stressed about the, the timetable and the getting things done and the running out of time, 
you're not getting any more things done by worrying about that. Mm-hmm. And if you yep. can take that five, five minutes, one minute, take one minute, start with a minute. First thing in the morning, you're going to have more control over your day. Hence, you're going to have more time. So we're, we're make we're creating time. <laughs> That's so true and powerful, and it's so important to, for people to remember that by engaging this kind of a practice, you, it's additive and not subtract. You're not taking away from anything. You're just adding it. And it's one of the things I talk about. It's the return on investment, if you want to put be a capitalist about it, is so uh-huh. so amazing. It's beyond belief, and you you can't convince people of that until they actually do it. But uh, uh, there's right. an old joke in my, um, my mindfulness trainers. It's like you say, well, if you just do this meditation for you know 10 minutes a day, it'll really make a difference. And they go, well, I don't have 10 minutes. And you can say, okay, for you, 20. And <laughs> <laughs> That's, I think that was an, an Eckhart Tolle quote that he said, yeah. <laughs> everybody, everybody should meditate for 30 minutes a day unless you don't have time. And then you should meditate for an hour. Right. So, um, thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, also, I want to remind listeners that you can find her profile at the Mindful Coach Association as well. You engage her there, and um, you know it's so great to have you and hear about all the ways that people can learn from the inner world of golf, soccer, poker, and uh, all the fun stuff that you're doing, and, and your inspiration to be of help to others is an inspiration to me and I'm sure our listeners as well. Oh, thanks so much for the kind words, Brett. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks. Bye. And that's a wrap for this edition of the Mindful Coach Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this presentation. And if you did, follow us and leave us a review. If you're a coach or helping professional that values mindfulness in your work, browse over to mindfulcoachassociation.com and create a free community profile describing your services so the world can find you. And you'll be invited to exclusive community meetings where you can meet your colleague. I'm your host, Brett Hill, founder of the Mindful Coach Association, coach and coach trainer teaching the Mindful Coach Method. You can find out more about me at themindfulcoach.com. Until next time, stay present.